step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Hey, it's Gina Stevens. Welcome to Belwa Radio, where we bring you digital marketing tips, expert interviews, and industry news for community media, community radio, and independent media. Visit our website at belwamedia.com. Thank you for joining us here on Belwar Radio. My name is Gina Stevens, and joining us is Bob Berkman, president of WHUP. Bob, can you tell us where WHUP is located? Yes, we're located in Hillsboro, North Carolina, which is a small town uh, in the, on the outskirts of what is known as the Triangle Area, which uh, comprises Raleigh, Durham, and Chapel Hill. We're on the western edge of the uh, Greater Triangle. Okay, and can you tell us a little bit more about WHUP? Yes, we have been on the air since October of 2015, so not all that long. Uh, We exist because of a law that was passed in 2010 called the Local Community Radio Act by Congress. Uh, Miraculously, they actually did pass something. Uh, This over the objections of some of the Uh, larger broadcasting uh, operations like Clear Channel and NPR, which saw any expansion of uh, low-power FM, which is the um, class of station that we we are, uh, as a potential threat. And so uh, it took about four years for the FCC to figure out how it was going to structure its application process and to clear out uh, some of the obstacles that uh, were in front of them. And uh, we applied in 2014 and were granted our license. We were fortunate not to have any competition for the frequency that we applied for. And uh, then we had about 18 months to raise $80,000, upfit our studios, and uh, get on the air. Two months to raise eighty thousand dollars. How we did had you do eight, that? eighteen eighteen months. Eighteen uh, months, okay. So uh, from the day we were granted the license, they give you eighteen months to get it together, and so uh, we started right away uh, raising the funds, and we uh, had a lot of support from individuals and businesses in the community. Local governments were supportive, and uh, we managed to come up with it. Wow. And uh, before we started talking, you talked about um, one of the things you were going to talk about is your use of volunteers for your uh, programming. Uh, So I'm assuming uh, that your volunteers were a huge help with your fundraising. Uh, Pretty much. We have relied on volunteer labor for everything. We have no paid staff. Uh, And for a town that has only 6,000 people on it, that posed a bit of a challenge trying to find enough folks to do all the different things that we needed done in advance and uh, to get up and running. Uh, We had tremendous community support, and there is this wealth of creative talent and energy in this area, not just in Hillsborough, but we draw also from Durham and Chapel Hill in particular for our uh, 
on-air talent as well as for some of the functions, our uh, marketing and PR and uh, our IT uh, people in particular, but uh, they all came through um, over a period of time and uh, we were off and running. Before we started talking again, we were before we started recording the episode, we talked a little bit about what we were going to discuss. And the thing I wanted to talk to you about was you mentioned having great success combining the old school strength of radio with new technology that allows for an on-demand experience, not just real-time streaming, but an all-built and programmed in-house, but it's all built and programmed in-house by your volunteers. But can you tell me more about that? Sure. So first off, we are a community radio station as that term is understood today. There are a number of great community stations around the country. And we modeled our, uh, our programming and some of our uh, organizational uh, structure after those stations. So we weren't trying to reinvent any wheels. And basically what a good community radio station does is uh, present an eclectic mix of host-driven shows uh, that uh, mix uh, usually music and, and some talk and that collectively represent the community at large. So uh, we first understood, because we are a, a low-power station, that we were not going to have a broadcast range that would allow us to do the things we wanted to do as far as our reach and our impact. And so we thought, okay, we need to have a good solid foundation in technology that enables us to reach anybody anywhere. So first off, um, uh, the, the community radio model is really uh, a, a new version of what radio always was, which was fundamentally local in character and flavor and content. Um, and that space has been largely abandoned by certainly commercial broadcasters, but even the NPRs of the world, which have become more corporate over time and more national in their focus, including the, uh, the rather large and um, well-heeled station here that is affiliated with the University of North Carolina. Uh, community stations are also independent uh, of any institutional uh, oversight or control, and so we get to basically do whatever we want. Um, we have uh, a great board of directors and um, uh, a lot of experienced people uh, who have participated in one way or another uh, with the station. So that's the old school piece. Uh, people really are hungry for that local content and flavor. Uh, and character, but it still can have universal appeal. So that was our thinking going into it. But the technology that uh, we needed um, required some real expertise and skill. And again, we were very fortunate to have right here in this little town a number of uh, uh, IT experts who were willing uh, to volunteer their time and build out our systems from scratch, uh, we use uh, uh, Linux-based um, software and, and uh, programs to drive our whole operation. And so the, uh, uh, the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, which governs all online content, 
allows you to archive your programming, all of it. If it's copyright protected, your programs can only uh, be up for two weeks. And if you own the content or uh, it's not copyright protected, you can archive it permanently if you have permission or if, again, it's yours, if you're in-house content. So uh, nonetheless, there's only a handful of stations that have this on-demand archival uh, service that they offer. And we discovered the reason, uh, at least as far as we can tell, why that is, is because there is no off-the-shelf software to do this. And you either have to hire a company to do it at great expense, probably you know, thirty dollars to $70,000 to build the system. And then to maintain it, uh, you are tethered to that uh, company. And they have annual you know, maintenance fees and program updates. So it's a very expensive proposition, especially for a small station like ours. So we were, again, very, very lucky uh, to have uh, folks who were able to do this for us and do it for free, which they wow. did. That's yes. So all our shows, uh, which you can access on whupfm.org, are available on demand. And we have a lot of content, uh, in particular our live music programming, that is available permanently uh, as part of our permanent archive. Was that your plan going into this? Did you know that? Did you know of that challenge ahead of time, and that was a part of your plan to do this? Or Definitely. Was that yeah. some, okay, so that was a part of the plan. We knew okay. that if we wanted to. Um, uh, the way it's it's an, it's it's definitely uh, an on-demand world, and everything is moving toward um, uh, device-driven on-demand audio consumption. That's why Spotify is so popular. That's why podcasts have become all the rage because people can listen whenever they want, and because the law allows us to archive our programming, we knew that if we really wanted to get a lot of listeners over a long period of time and build that listenership, that's what we would have to do. We would have to build out this on-demand service. Almost every radio station streams in real time. But again, only a few have this on-demand component. So we decided, yes, uh, we can really separate ourselves from the pack if we do this. So that was our plan uh, going in. And then the implementation uh, was, of course, a, a, another thing entirely. If you are really good at this sort of thing, uh, it's not all that complicated conceptually to do the programming, especially if you can work in Linux, which is all you know, open source. So you can take the programs that are out there and customize them uh, for your particular use. So uh, we did go into it. And in fact, uh, from day one, the majority of our listeners are coming to us, have come to us through the on-demand service, which was a surprise. We thought it would take a while for that to, um, to happen. But again, uh, because everyone wants to access content whenever they want instead of whenever it's broadcasting, um, uh, it, it maybe isn't a shock that uh, we were getting more listeners through the, um, through the archive than from any other source. Uh, and it's worked out really nicely uh, because of that.
Are you adding the video piece? I just spoke with um, Jason Daniels, uh, who is the executive director of Easton uh, Community Access Television, and he spoke about when they do podcasting, uh, they also do, they bring the cameras in and they record video so they can um, repurpose that video, that, that podcast and video. So I'm wondering, are you guys bringing cameras in the studio so you can repurpose your uh, content into video? Are you guys also doing something like that? We uh, have not yet um, moved into the video arena partly because radio is an audio medium, and, and we wanted to focus all our efforts on putting out uh, good audio content. And the okay. video thing is a whole uh, different layer of complexity. You have to not only have people to shoot the video, but then you have to be able to sync the video with the audio and all the rest of it. And we didn't uh, feel like that is where we could put our limited uh, resources to start with. Now there are a few programs that uh, set up a, um, a Facebook live stream during their shows. Uh, the audio quality is not as good as it is if you're listening uh, online or after the fact, but uh, it's sort of an experiment. Some people do it and some people like it. We've also uh, thought about you know, creating a YouTube channel with our live music. And that is probably the next thing that we will do um, once we have some folks who are wanting to do that and able to do that. Because we have the audio files, and it would be relatively simple matter for people who know what they're doing to take the video and sync it up with the audio. Uh, so we will do that. I think there is uh, something of an obsession about turning everything into video because everybody wants you know, video content. At the same time, um, our strength is really as an audio medium. So, and, and there's a limited interest, I think, in having a video camera sitting there uh, uh, shooting talking heads you know, in a studio. Uh, I've seen some of that. There are certain uh, national sports talk radio people who uh, have video streams of them sitting there talking with their headphones on, and it's frankly not very interesting. Uh, and the other thing about video is, of course, that you have to be watching it, whereas radio has always been a companion medium. That's one of its greatest strengths, is that most people who listen to radio aren't sitting there uh, in a fixed position with headphones on, they are doing other things. They're at work. They are cooking dinner. They're hanging out. They're doing whatever they're doing, and yet they can still enjoy the broadcast because they don't have to be tethered to a screen. Uh, and, and I think there's an appreciation of the fact that that is one of radio's greatest strengths. It is a portable medium that uh, is, a, is really best... Uh, suited to all kinds of situations that are not possible with video or with uh, print. So uh, our focus has been and will continue to be for the foreseeable future uh, producing the highest quality audio content that we can. Um, our live music does offer some good video potential. We have more live music than any other radio station that we're familiar with, and one of the reasons 
is because we have set it up very differently than most radio stations that have live music. So when they do it, it's a very involved process in, uh, that, in, that requires a couple of engineers and on-air talent and schedulers, usually you know, four, five, six people in a soundproof room. And we set this up so that one person, it's, it's really good high-end stuff, but very simple to operate, and one person can come in and set up and mix down a full six-piece band. Uh, very quickly and get a really good sound out of it, uh, like super high-end. The bands like it because it's very relaxed and informal. It's kind of like a living room situation. And uh, we have people coming to us now all the time asking if they can come on and uh, play. These are not just local musicians but touring artists. We set aside time in our schedule uh, about three or four afternoons per week for bands who are touring and playing gigs in the area, and we bring them in uh, that day before their shows, and uh, they do a live set, promote the gig, and uh, um, it, it benefits us and benefits them. So there is potential there, as far as video is concerned, uh, to shoot some of those live bands. Uh, but again, we have lots of traffic uh, going to our uh, site to hear these bands uh, after the fact, or uh, sometimes in real time. And uh, that's uh, proven to be a real calling card for us. So the, the urgency to do video uh, is not something that we are feeling right now, but it will be something that we will add as we have the capacity to do that. What are some of the services um, you provide to the community other than providing uh, content to the community uh, what are some of the services you provide? I know some will provide training to the community so they can come in and learn how to use your tools, but what do you, what do you provide to the community as far as services go? We do have uh, an internship program. Uh, we are working with uh, local high schools and uh, some of the local uh, institutions of higher learning to provide uh, audio production, uh, uh, teaching and training, as well as uh, some uh, web-based content providing and, and social media work. Um, we are looking to create a, a library that's accessible to uh, our DJs, and we are going to try and partner with a local uh, uh, library school, there's a couple of them in the area, to build that out, but there's nothing really off the shelf that makes sense in that regard that's actually useful for the DJs because you can just throw a mass of you know, 150 or 200 gigs of music onto a, a database, but it doesn't really help the DJs sift through it or know what they're looking at. So we're going to have to try and figure out how to do that. That's an ongoing conversation. Beyond that, though, we provide access. And this is something that is in short supply um, in any media uh, these days. It used to be that, um, and again, this is the old school part, uh, radio is a very accessible medium. You can't just go on TV unless they happen to uh, be where you are shooting a news story or something, and not a lot of opportunities just to go in and share your stories and uh, talk about the work that you're doing. So we have a number of programs 
where we spotlight the work that is being done in the community by nonprofits, by creative people, by the local business uh, community, by uh, local government. We have a lot of uh, folks from the town and the county who come in and uh, talk about the work that they do, not just uh, top officials, but people who are out there uh, that you see every day, you know, doing the basic functions of, uh, of, of government, the uh, public works, and, you know, the guy who climbs the towers, and the guy who cleans out the sewers. So it's really kind of a, a, uh, an all-access service that we provide. We have a community theater show where we spotlight usually three community uh, theater productions in the greater area, uh, Triangle area. And um, uh, they don't have any other outlet to talk about their productions, to talk about what they're doing, to talk about uh, how to get involved. Uh, and we do that every day. We have some kind of community access where people are coming in and talking about what they do. That kind of, and we also have uh, two uh, shows, actually one that is in product that is in development, but the other one's already on the air, where we just spotlight local. Uh, local characters. Um, and uh, that's something that, uh, again, is unique. That's the local flavor. That's the local character, the local content, um, where people who have been around for a long time just come in and talk about their lives. And storytelling is another essential component of, of, of the medium, of radio. That's why podcasts are a big deal. It's really all about storytelling. And so we provide various forums for people to come in and tell stories. So all it's, it's, it's uh, largely geared toward access. Uh, folks can come in and talk about events that they're going to be holding, uh, fundraisers that they're doing, um, you know, good work that they're involved with, their, their, their local businesses, the struggles that they go through, and... Um, and uh, so much creative uh, spirit uh, that uh, is reflected in all those conversations that we have. And then the local music uh, uh, is also uh, represented through uh, on-air performance. We have a number of shows that feature live music, regularly scheduled shows, plus we have these ad hoc, what we call special sessions for uh, whoever um, is just passing through. I'm curious because of how you've been up and running two years. So I'm kind of curious about um, your success, to be honest with you, considering I know that uh, community media, community radio um, struggle. And um, so you have all these great things going on. You have all of these volunteers. I'm wondering how much of that success comes from really great planning. <laughs> so I'm kind of curious what your, I know you have, you've had to have had a strategic plan written out before you got started. So um, what did that plan look like? I'm not even going to ask you if you had one because I'm sure you did <laughs> with all of the success that you have, that you have going on because I'm sure you did. Um, we, yes, we did. And uh, <laughs> a, a lot of it, again, was emulating what the great community stations around the country already do. So we would identify things that they did and did well and simply say, well, how can we apply uh, that model to our own 
uh, local circumstances. Part of it was that we have uh, really uh, experienced and skilled uh, programming team that understands what makes good radio, understands what we're trying to do, and uh, was able to generate a lot of interest uh, among prospective show hosts, and then refine their proposals into top-notch uh, programs. Uh, that was very important. A lot of what we did, which no one else was doing, like this live music um, thing that we do, uh, we uh, asked a whole bunch of people in advance. We thought, well, this might work. What if we do the, the, what if what if we try and do this? Um, because no one else is doing it. And so we asked, there's a great record company um, based here in Hillsboro, Yep Rock Records, and uh, their distribution arm, Red Eye, uh, hundreds of uh, independent music labels. And we have the GM from Yep Rock on our board. Uh, but we also asked a lot of those folks. We asked sound engineers, sound uh, recording studio people, musicians themselves, and everybody else, record labels, everybody we could find, we would say basically, here's our idea. Tell us why this won't work. And, uh, and they would say usually, uh, you know what, that might work. So then we would try and implement. And so we had a good sense going into it because we did our research. And we did our homework. We asked people who had experience um, in areas that we did not have, and then we were able to recruit people uh, who did have that experience and plug them into the appropriate place, uh, ask them what they thought. And so we had a pretty good sense going into it of what we wanted to do. Then it was a matter of um, finding the right people to plug in. And if, if you are familiar with some of the pitfalls of nonprofit uh, management, yeah. <laughs> uh, you'll know that um, if you plug the wrong person into a, into a job, then uh, it will be actually uh, detrimental to your cause. Uh, so we spent a lot of time. We had some great volunteer coordinator people with nonprofit management experience who helped identify a good fit for each person that uh, came to us and said, I would like to help out. So that's really, really important. We have been very fortunate um, that we have those people who can identify really good ways that people can participate without asking too much of them or asking too little of them uh, because you can underutilize talent as well as uh, put people in the wrong place. So that was really, really important. All that said, our success, we would say we're at about year five as far as our expectations for the station, we get more uh, inquiries every day, more people signing up for our mailing list. We have um, folks who um, are sending us music, uh, now asking if they can participate on the air in one way or another. But we're still at year two as far as our development of, uh, as an organization. So that has posed some problems for us because we don't have the capacity as an organization to uh, manage all the demand. Um, and so our goals for the next 12 months, our primary goal really is to increase the organizational capacity to help meet some of that demand. So what you're seeing is you scaled too quickly. Um, we do, faster we just than did, you thought you would. 
we, yeah, we didn't really consciously scale it up. We just did what we wanted to do and hoped that um, the, the interest would follow. Well, it was more successful more quickly than we had anticipated, which is good. It means we're doing something right. But uh, you can't manage that. You, you know, it's like a soft launch for a restaurant. There's no more soft launches in the age of social media and the Internet. So you better be ready if you're going to open your doors as a restaurant uh, to manage a, a, a crush of people. And it was kind of that way with us. We just put ourselves out there and started letting people know that we were out there and the word spread. And then we started doing things in a way that, um, uh, that was appealing enough to our listeners and to local bands and uh, uh, members of uh, the community at large that they dis- that they wanted to be a part of it at least as far as getting some on-air exposure, at the very least. And so that was something that we really couldn't control. We would hoped it would be true, but we we were not prepared for it to happen as quickly and as enthusiastically as it has. So it's again, it's a good problem to have, but it is a problem because you need to be responsive. You need to accommodate people, and if you get you know, a flood of volunteer submissions and you don't respond quickly enough or uh, uh, you know, in a, in a uh, satisfactory way to each person, then, uh, then they will go away and find something else to do. We're kind of in an ADD culture uh, now, and people bounce from thing to thing. So you have to take advantage of any opportunity that you've got to reel someone in. And then once they're in, they'll have a blast. But we've lost people because we haven't been able to respond quickly enough. Um, and there's a certain natural attrition, of course, in any volunteer-based organization. So you have to you know, replace people if you get someone in a key function and that person goes away. You can't just uh, replace them. You have to find the right person to replace them. So there have been some functions that we would like to do better, uh, particularly on the development side. We had some really good people early on. Uh, one of them ended up getting a double full-time job and was no longer able to spend the time that uh, she wanted to. And then another person moved out, you know, moved out of state with her family. So you do lose people. Um, that's just the way of it in any uh, organization like ours. And you can't just uh, fill that slot with the next person in. Um, you have to wait until you find a, a good person to do it. So some of our some of our functions, especially behind the scenes, um, have um, have lagged because of that. Now the good thing is, and we also understood uh, from a business standpoint that we had to structure our finances very very conservatively. Uh, we are going at some point to hire um, a station manager, full or part-time, and a development director. We have not gotten to the point where we're ready to do that yet, so we are still filling those functions uh, with volunteers. Uh, but uh, that is our goal. Nonetheless, until we reach that goal, we have structured the organization in such a way that uh, our overhead is relatively low, and it does not take a whole lot to meet our 
operating expenses um, annually. It's very, very manageable for us. So that was also very intentional. Uh, we did not want to take on any obligations, any financial obligations, that we would not uh, be able to meet easily. Um, is there anything else you want to add? We want to wrap things up, but I want to make sure we're not missing anything else that you want to make sure our listeners uh, need to know. Uh, not really. I think uh, we have been gratified by the level of enthusiasm that we have encountered in the community. And again, it's partly because uh, th there's this vast empty space out there that used to be occupied by AM stations back in the day, and then public radio stations, college stations, that they have slowly uh, abandoned. And that space... Uh, really creates incredible opportunities for uh, a station like ours to provide something that the community wants and needs. Uh, and I would just say, you know, we have been very fortunate to be in an area where there is that support, but um, given that we're in a town of 6,000 people, how we have been able to do this uh, I think is a, is, is a good uh, lesson for a lot of community broadcasters that would like to uh, do some of the same things. It doesn't require vast amounts of capital. It requires just generally um, buy-in from enough people to make it happen. Now, the unfortunate thing is, of course, that uh, the window for getting a broadcast license is pretty much closed, and I don't see it opening again anytime soon. This is the second time, the second round of um, uh, our class of station, uh, the applications for those. Uh, it opened and closed like a month later. That was in 2014. The previous window when they created this class of station uh, was open for only like two weeks, and that was back in 2000. And uh, especially in the current climate, um, we were fortunate to have an FCC that was very much uh, interested in expanding opportunities for community radio. That is no longer the case. And there just aren't a lot of frequencies left for a variety of uh, engineering and technical reasons. So I'm not seeing uh, the likelihood of an expansion of this kind of opportunity anytime soon. But... Um, and it really does help us to have those four call letters and to have a frequency, even if that frequency is limited. In fact, we're now seeing podcasters come to us because, as you know, podcasts have proliferated to the, very much like blogs did at one time when everybody was blogging and then people started realizing, well, only 10 people are reading my blog and it's not worth all the time and trouble. So there was a shakeout. You're beginning to see that with podcasts, and we are now getting podcasters coming to us and saying, hey, would you air my podcast as a show? Because that is a way for them to distinguish themselves from the mass of podcasts that are out there because they have a radio station um, sort of backstopping their efforts and, and gives them a certain cachet. Um, so uh, while there will be no new uh, radio station opportunities anytime soon, and there's an increasing consolidation in the broadcast industry, uh, the, the, 
the landscape is constantly changing. And again, if you think in terms of on-demand uh, listening, uh, on-demand audio consumption, that does uh, beg the question of what, what other things will evolve over time that can be converted into a, essentially a community broadcast or community radio experience. And I think that's where um, uh, this, will, this will head. And uh, I think anybody with a little bit of savvy and some good community support can, uh, can replicate some of the things that we do that people have really wanted and, uh, and loved and, and um, uh, created our, uh, our listenership and, and the enthusiasm uh, here and, and elsewhere. Um, for WHUP, we have listeners from all over the world, and that's again the beauty of on-demand uh, internet-based uh, audio is that we have listeners from Russia. And you I mean it used to be if you had a show on at three in the afternoon on Wednesday, only people who could tune in at that time could hear it. Exactly. And now it doesn't really matter so much when a show is actually broadcast because if it's something people want to hear, they can tune in whenever they want. And that's been uh, huge for us. What is your website? Um, you mentioned it earlier, but if you could mention it a couple more times for people um, so they can uh, write it down, that would be great. Sure. It's whupfm.org. WUP, as we like to call ourselves, the big WUP. Uh, WUPFM, W-H-U-P-F-M dot O-R-G. Okay, great. And what I will do is put a link to um, your website in the show notes. And I will also link to you, Bob, uh, your LinkedIn page in the show notes as well. Great. So um, that, thank you very much for joining me today, Bob. I really appreciate it. And thanks to you all for listening. You've been listening to Belois Radio. My name is Gina Stevens. Thanks again for listening. You guys have a great day. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.